the title for today's talk is Going to the Source. In what I like to consider my previous life as a scientist, I had the privilege of being associated with a person, a scientist, who had a tremendous influence on me and many others, uh, whose name is Max Delbrook. Max, as we all knew him, was, I think, the, in my judgment, the most influential biologist in the last 50 years, something that goes well beyond the fact that he got the Nobel Prize for important work. And uh, in some ways, he is the most unlikely guru figure to bring to this uh, assembly here. He was an archetype of rationality, sharp, his mind as sharp as uh, anything I've ever seen. And yet, in, the fi in, in, in his 70s, or near his 70s, in the 70s actually, when he was nearly 70, and he discovered he had cancer, uh, there was a, a very significant change happening in him. And when he died in 1981, his widow, Manny, sent his friends a, a picture of Max and some extracts from his diary. The diary he called the uh, Heimreise, it's originally German, uh, Going Home, was the title of this diary. And, and Manny takes out a quote from his diary that touched her, obviously, and touches me too very much. I go back to it. He says, the journey of life, which seems so much to be going outward, in the end, end turns out to have been going inward most of the time. So I'm going to start this talk talking about this outward-inward polarity. And, and in some way, trying to figure out what I think Max was discovering there. Person who all his life had been going outward, and then he says, By golly, I was going inward, really. This polarities are out and in impinge quite a lot upon our lives. And, and often the experience pivots around one or the other alternative. I don't have to go very far to see that. All I have to do is observe my two daughters, both of whom I love dearly and respect very much. And so comparisons between them do not imply in any way one being better than the other, clearly. For instance, a few weeks ago, 
it was the mother's birthday and and one gave her a sweater the other gave her a book of poetry of her own poetry the the outgoing daughter for instance in her office has a cartoon if i can just find it it's very common the sort of cartoons that you find in offices but it has this picture of a sad person and it said says i try to take just one day at a time but lately several days have attacked me at once <laughs> <laughs> so the site the arena is seen as being outside the site for everything comes from and then i remember some time ago telling her about uh, me coming to teach a retreat and her immediate answer don't remember the whole sentence but he said right away oh yes dad with that condescending way that some daughters <laughs> have oh yes dad but in real life you know this of course she was right i suppose this is not real life real life not particularly for her but typically is money is all these things are solid okay and 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 we have this difficulty in 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 some have difficulty in locating themselves in one world or the other this morning for instance in a group there was one person who had great difficulty and reluctance to talk in the first person when the issues were first person issues really but it's very common using one because then we avoid locating ourselves inside so for some in some persons the outside seems to be the real arena for others is the other way around is inside just just look at us and other times as well in this particular occasion here we are projecting from the inside to the outside all the time i enjoy playing with my granddaughter aged 4 gabby and uh, and she solves everything with let's pretend let's pretend this is this let's pretend this is that and 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 a whole universe is created from let's pretend and i can't resist uh, sharing with you this uh, piece of junk mail i got recently and um it's one of these uh, pieces of propaganda where they managed to uh, through some computer put individuals names in the headlines so here it says Jose Rice's huge success potential released by Wayne Bra- brainwave training <laughs> goes on to say Rice can have a magical leap in success says Sylvia Mind Control graduate Bert Goldman and and then uh, this uh, graduate continues to say when i first heard about Jose Silva in the early 70s i was at a low point in my life because of a recent bankruptcy stressful and depressed i went to one of the silva classes and learned the methods and techniques 
I was skeptical at first, but the results were magical. Six weeks after completing the short course, I was president of a new corporation and had more money, <laughs> friends and rewards than I have dreamt of before my silver training. I'm going to leave this thing out with the things there so you, you, you can get the address. <laughs> in general, however, we're not so firmly placed in one or the other side of this divide, but we, our lives sort of weave back and forth from the inner to the outward. Sometimes there's, there's deep confusion around that. If, if any of you have been reading or, or seeing the media recently, all this uh, to-do about repressed memories of sexual abuse, for instance, show that areas can certainly be confusing. Uh, but then we don't have to go very far. We have the confusion with ourselves very often. And, and one way to deal with that confusion very often, what's inner, what's outer, is using therapy, and therapy is certainly equipped to to clear some of those confusions and to try to harmonize inner and outer and, and bring up to date sometimes the inner. What, what really, in all this, what really weaves in and out is very much a point of view is very much the story line on which I stake a claim. The story of my life as I define my life. This is the way I see my life. See it from the inside, see it from the outside. And I'm locked in there as long as I make myself the center of the world as long as the world is centered in me. Then I create a story, and I place it in, or I place it out, or I move in and out. This defining oneself in, defining oneself out, has a lot to do with this sense of ownership of life, of my life the life I want to improve. I've, some of you may come here to improve the life I came here to improve. When we get caught in this storyline, which, which limits us as to where we are, then we develop a kind of tunnel vision. Not to say we develop an actual tunnel that we live in. What we can see is the walls of this tunnel, sometimes a little permeable, sometimes you can see a little through, but more than anything, are the projection, this tunnel is full of screens, kind of. When we screen the movies that we want to screen on those walls of the tunnel. Uh, you can realize this, I, I realize that 
recently with a lot of little episodes and things that came my way. For instance, I was not long ago having breakfast with a friend and she mentioned how sorry she was that she had wasted so many years of her life with, because she just discovered this or that. And first I, I thought that was reasonable, that's the way I've been used to think. And, and I can also think, and it, it makes sense, and, and first sight may be okay, if I say, hey, I wasted the first 50 years of my life because I didn't know meditation. Now, no meditation, I think, is an important resource. What a waste. But as I look at this statement that I've just made, which sounds reasonable, it's really a state of ownership, a statement of ownership. Who the hell cares? How, why should I care what happened to the previous 50 years of my life? Unless I live life as a, a curriculum. You know, somebody said that life can be seen as a series of curriculum CV improving activities. In that light, which is precisely the tunnel vision I'm talking about, yes, it matters where life went and where it is. But otherwise, it makes no sense. So, I would say for sure that there's more to life than all this construction and all this weaving in and out inside a tunnel. And I think that that's what Max was referring to when he said that, that we are actually going inwards. So let, let's see what it's this inwardness if and when we can drop the tunnels. Let's see what inward means when we can go beyond ownership of life. When we can drop a sense of controlling life and making things happen in our life. Surely this can be a painful process because we have to let go of, of things that we believed in, that we, we assumed. We have to let go of ownership too. And there's fear because then who I am, who am I, is not defined anymore by the parameters that we're used to. But if we do, and if we can, drop the sense of ownership, the sense of self-centeredness in life, then there is the possibility of an awesome sense of freedom. 
a sense of of fullness. You can call it inner fullness, if you wish. Now, how how do we get there? It's interesting that different people report different ways of getting there. Um, in a discussion group uh, following a sitting in New York City, somebody recounted her experience of giving birth. And that being the trigger of a spiritual awakening, by which I mean dropping the ownership, living life openly. For others, and I've heard this too, can be falling in love. Experience of transformation when when one lets go. Particularly if it's a, a fresh fresh sort of event, something that happens, just happens, just comes by itself. And of course, there's uh, this meditation hall, which is very much what uh, tends to facilitate and uh, teachers sometimes receive letters from people who sit and uh, and I just thought I'd share this paragraph from a yogi who was sitting here last August and she says that the retreat that she sat with us, with us three she says help dissolve the encrustment around my heart. I can once again drink from the wellspring of love with with increasing clarity and open heart. I'm sure many, many have felt that way. It can be expressed in different words. Surely, sitting here or sitting anywhere is no bed of roses. And in fact, very often, what, what meditation does is to put us through a gauntlet of painful experiences. Of judgment, shame, anxiety, fear, what in Buddhist language is called Mara. Mara, the, the devilish god, if you wish. So, in some, a lot of stuff confronts us. And heavy stuff sometimes, painful stuff that confronts us in meditation. And you could say, how could this possibly lead me to see better, to to see out of the tunnel, to get some clarity? I I would agree that um, very thick condensation of stuff sometimes can be paralyzing. And, And it can go that way. 
But there again, with a little patience and some faith, some of that stuff settles down. And what we have to deal with, in fact, instead of being a hindrance, can help us see. Um, if, if I may be allowed one more metaphor, let me recall the work of a physicist, John Tyndall, a British physicist, who 120 years ago, more or less, discovered a phenomena known by his name, the Tyndall effect. And I went to a library to see how he described that in his own words. And hopefully you'll understand what I mean after I read his description of the Tyndall effect. Built, he says, he's giving instructions to, to see this effect. Build a little chamber and provide it with the doors, door, windows, and window shutters. Okay. Little chamber is a chamber where we can walk in, as you will see. It's a room, really. And, um, why build it, I don't know. And, uh, uh, okay. The door is to get in, obviously and windows and window shutters. The window shutters are there because then, he says, let an aperture be made in one of the shutters through which the sunbeam, a sunbeam can pass. Close the door and windows so that no light shall enter save through the hole in the shutter. The track of the sunbeam is at first perfectly plain and vivid in the air of the room. Um, by the way, in a, another description of the same thing, which is a little longer, that's why I'm not using, he talks about having the chamber made clean that uh, that uh, room first, obviously. You know, at that time you don't do it yourself, you get a chamber made to do it. Um, and also at that time you don't do it with a vacuum cleaner, you do it with a duster. So when the chambermaid comes, in fact, what happens is that all the dust starts flowing up. So, clo close the door. Right. The track of the sunbeam, I repeat, is at first perfectly plain and vivid in the air of the room. If all disturbance of the air of the chamber is now avoided, the luminous track will become fainter and fainter until at last it disappears absolutely and no trace of the beam is to be seen. What rendered the beam visible at first? It was the floating dust of the air, which, thus illuminated and observed, is as palpable to sense as dust or powder placed on the palm of the hand. In the still air, the dust gradually sinks to the floor or sticks to the walls and ceiling until finally 
by this self-cleansing process, the air is entirely freed from mechanically suspended matter. I think this description could beautifully apply to just sitting in meditation. Well, there's all this dust and stuff, you know, floating about, and then it starts settling down. But notice the description. If you see the beam from the side, as obviously that's what Tyndall is doing, then the less dust, the less beam you see. There's something about the, the dust in the room, the stuff in our sitting that helps us see the source from inside, that helps us see. In this little room, if if you wait long enough and all the dust is settled and, and you walk very careful so you don't move it up again, then you don't see the beam and unless you place yourself right in front of the beam. Then you see it, but you don't see it from the side. So so this is indeed the usefulness of that stuff that seems to haunt us sometimes in the sitting. We can use it to see the beam until we can position ourselves in such a way that we have a direct connection with that beam of light. Metaphorically speaking, of course. In February, I had the pleasure of visiting with my son in Argentina and uh, and his family and, and get to know my newest granddaughter who, is, who was a, a year old four days ago. And uh, we went together to a beach. In, in Uruguay, a very small, tiny uh, hamlet, really, of houses. And we rented a house right on the sea. It's a two-story house. And I spent many afternoons during those two weeks that we were there, sitting on the balcony, looking at the sea and the horizon. By the way, this in February is summer there, of course. And it was quite delightful in many ways. But it was particularly filling to for me to sit with the eyes open in front of the ocean. There was such a a matching, you see, between what was happening inside and the landscape outside. There was a, a sense of complete opening, of no difference between in and out, of no difference between surface of the ocean and depth of the ocean, surface of self, depth of self. 
it was enthralling. I, I, I was just uh, mesmerized. By, by, by the, the, the very difficult to describe the experience. Would I, I bring this up, not to say that you need to go to a beach to meditate or things like that, but but to describe what I'm trying to say in terms of experience rather than in terms of words. In the inquiry today, I'm sure we all understood that words are tricky, that trying to to name something is dangerous because it, first of all, it doesn't mean the same thing for everybody. Secondly, we think that by naming, we understood it. And third, because we tend to take the name and give reality to the name. What's called to reify the words. So I've the difficulty finding words for this talk, which I named going to the source. And I can, I will suggest a number of other words, precisely not to get uh, caught up in any of them. One can talk about the light, one could talk about the wellspring, one can talk about a source of oneness, or a place of oneness, a place of boundedness. Or, or actually, I feel much better just uh, using my hands. You know, so, something like that. Something that, that seems to come from inside. And, and sometimes, what comes from that place is a sense of deep love and compassion. And, and that's a common experience, it's nothing. Other times is a sense of, of openness, of not being caught. I could also call it inner fullness. But then, this inner fullness is also outer fullness. See, the, the, the barrier between inner and outer is not significant anymore. Just us, the inner Buddha, is not different from the God out there, as we are told. The Buddha in here, as we are told. What, what's really essential here is that we open ourselves up and we give up ownership of my life. In the tunnels of ownership, this is not accessible. I have mentioned my 
two lovely daughters. And I want to, in closing, to read a poem from the daughter that I would have would call the inner going daughter. This is a poem, one of the poems that she gave to her mother a few days ago for her birthday. And I would say about uh, Celia, that's her name, that uh, she doesn't want to have anything to do with Buddhism. <laughs> In fact, <laughs> she did come to IMS some 12 years ago, sat a retreat, a weekend, with Christopher, in fact, I wasn't here. And, uh, and that told her once and for all that this was not for her. So, it's a pleasure for me to discover that without having anything to do with Buddhist language, with Buddhist reading, with Buddhist practice, there is a, as you probably will, might appreciate, a similarity uh, in the discovery that touches me very deeply. And I ask your forgiveness if my voice cracks up while I read it, because it, 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 Celia touches me very much. I'll read just parts of the poem. There is a wild place, a first brain of rhythms and patterns that swells and beckons a black hole where we dare not go lest we find ourselves. It is a place where only the brave who dare to be cowards go. It is the wave that crashes upon the shore, the outspread wings of flight, the budding branch that opens to the light, the seed that searches for its source, the roots that dig into warm earth. It is the place where skin becomes an empty shell, where we shed our arrogance like flowers shed their wings. However expressed, whether in Buddhist language, in poetic language, in the language of the scientist, as Max, the experience is that as I open to, to that source inside, as we open to that source inside, we become transformed. May all beings go beyond the ownership of life.
May all beings open up to the wellspring. May all beings be free. Sit for a few minutes, please. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.